Hey everybody, Jason Connor, lead pastor of Portico Church Arlington with you this Sunday morning as we dig into God's Word. We'll be in Philippians chapter 3 verses 8 through 16 as we continue to look at the resurrection and how that changes how we live. So let me ask you this question. What's your life's purpose? What are you here for? What is your purpose? Not, not your role, not your vocation, not your task, not what you truly want to accomplish, but what is your purpose? What are you here for? What do you live for? What one thing matters? In other words, if you were to accomplish this one thing in life, just one thing, if you were to accomplish this, if you were to achieve this, then you could honestly look in the mirror and say, I was successful. My life is a win. I lived in the purpose that God put me here for. What is that? Have you even thought about that? I think we think about this all the time. We just don't express it. Um, we seek it in the way that we find acclaim from other people. Um, if people are saying good things of us, maybe we're living in our purpose. Uh, maybe in our achievements, right? The things that we accomplish in life, if we can do a lot of things and a lot of good things, maybe we're living in our purpose. Uh, or lastly, acquisitions. Uh, if, we, if we acquire things in life, if we have the things that we think are variable, valuable, even if the experiences that we think are valuable, well, maybe, maybe just we're living in our purpose. Maybe our life matters. Let me tell you about this guy named George Mueller, and he was uh, alive back in the 1800s, grew up in Prussia. Uh, if anybody had a life that mattered, he did. He was kind of a brat. He was a lawyer's kid uh, or a tax collector's kid there in Prussia. Actually ended up stealing some money from the government because uh, through his dad. And he was just not a good kid, but he met Christ and it changed his life. By the end of his life, he was in Great Britain. Uh, he, it was attributed to him in his ministry of saving 10,000 orphans and serving them in Great Britain, educating 120,000 kids that had no access to education. In fact, he was accused, he was accused of raising uh, poor people above their station in Britain. Now, if anybody accuses you of doing that, you, you know you've done something right. And here's how he evaluates his life. Here's how he, he says his greatest purpose is. He went on to say that, even wrote this down, that I find it my first and great business every day to make sure that my soul finds its happiness in the Lord. Is that how you would answer that if you had that many achievements behind you? Wouldn't you say, I found that my purpose is to spend my life for the Lord or to give away my life to the Lord or to save those who are at risk? No, he did all these things. But he said, first and foremost, here's my purpose, that my soul finds its happiness in the Lord. That's both a dangerous proposition and a beautiful one. Nobody can be excluded from that, no matter who you are, if you will trust in Christ. Isn't that powerful? This is our purpose. This is what we are here for, to know, to love, to serve, to trust, to enjoy God eternally. As the Westminster Shorter Catechism says, what is the chief end of man? To glorify God and enjoy Him forever. But what does that mean? It means that your soul is daily finding itself, finding its happiness in the Lord, not in your achievements, not in the claim, not in the things that you have acquired, or the experiences that you have, or your purpose. Your purpose is wrapped up in this one thing. Are you happy in the Lord? 
Are you happy in the Lord? So let's jump into Philippians because it's going to help us answer that question. Help us understand what our purpose is and how to walk it in it. And, and really how the resurrection, the resurrection of Jesus raises us, not just to a new power like we learned last week, but also to this new purpose. So we'll be in chapter 3, starting in verse 8. It says, Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish, in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own, which comes from the law, but that which comes through the faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection, and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own, love this, because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it on my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind me and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way, and if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Would you pray with me? Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning as we open up this Word of God. Lord, we know it beholds treasure. We know this is how you create us as worshipers of you. I understand, we understand, this is how you connect us to our purpose in life. Lord, so we're asking for your mercy, Lord, and that you would bless us today as we open up your word. Uh, might you open it up to us. In the name of Jesus, amen. So this resurrection that we've been talking about, yes, it does raise us to a new power. We talked about that last week, but as a new creature, as someone who is born again, a new person who has been born again in Christ Jesus, you have a new purpose. You no longer walk in the old ways. You're no longer motivated by what you once were. You are a new creature in Christ Jesus. So you have a new purpose. So the resurrection raises you to this new purpose. Three things we're going to see in how it does that. First, it helps us to trust Him. It calls us to treasure Him and also calls us to tell of him. This is, this is our purpose. This is how we begin to understand and walk in this new purpose that we have in Christ Jesus. We trust him, that's the foundation of our faith. We treasure him, this is the motion of our life, and we tell him because enjoyment cannot be fulfilled until we share the greatest love that we have. And the resurrection does this, positions us, raises us up to a new purpose. So let's understand this in a better way. Uh, in verse 8, it says this, and listen to this very carefully because we're going to understand how the resurrection raises us to this new purpose, first and foremost, to trust Him. So the first purpose that we have is to be in a love-trust relationship with God in Christ. So listen to what verse 8 says. It says, Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. Now, it doesn't say that I count everything as loss in my life because of the surpassing worth of Jesus. Now that would be true, but it doesn't say that. 
The Apostle Paul is saying, because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. So he is comparing everything in his life that he had, his education, which is extensive, his, his lineage, which was extensive, his righteousness. In other words, the things that he had done in life that most people just said, wow, that guy's doing it right. He counts all of that as he looks at Christ and that as a loss because of knowing Christ Jesus. So understand this, your relationship with God, that trust that you enter into is first and foremost your purpose. This is where we, this is where we find our purpose. So the Apostle Paul brings that to us in knowing Christ Jesus as our Lord. And he even makes a comparison here and it's outrageous. It's outrageous. I got to pick the Bible back up. Why did I put it down? He says, um, for his sake, that's for the sake of Christ, for the sake of this relationship, keeping this relationship real, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish. Now, the English translation of the Bible says rubbish. Nobody says rubbish. Have you ever said rubbish? Um, here's what that word literally is. Uh, I can't say it because although the kids that would think it funny, I would probably get in trouble, get emails from parents. But it's, I'll give you a riddle. Uh, the Apostle Paul is saying, I count everything when compared to Christ as something that a dog would leave on your lawn and you're not going to want to play in it. So that's literally what that word means. He says, when I compare my life and everything that I acquired and achieved with the relationship that I have with God in Christ Jesus, it's rubbish. It's rubbish. So much so that suffering loss really isn't a thing for me. It actually connects me more to my purpose. How does that work? Well, his righteousness is not from himself. Please hear this. So trust isn't just knowing that a relationship with God is good and the best thing and better than anything that the world has to offer. That is also true. But you cannot have that if you're resting on your own rightness or your own achievements. In other words, if you think you can live a life that will garner God's attention, that will put his favor on you, that will make God say, hey, you have atoned for your own sin. I know that you're a good person. You're never going to do that. If you try to live a life that will earn God's love, you will exhaust yourself. You can't do it, friend. I've tried. I've tried. You can't do it. So the Apostle Paul is saying, oh, here's my purpose. I have a righteousness that is not from my adherence to the law, not from my own goodness, but it's a righteousness from God, not of God. We know that God is righteous and holy, and we should live up to the standard he gives us. He's not saying that. He's saying it's a righteousness from God that's given to me from Christ Jesus. Christ has attained it for me and I receive it by faith. If you cannot walk in that grace, you will forfeit your purpose in life. You will. So this is why the resurrection is key to us. It raises us to this new purpose. It validates all that Christ has done for you in love. So you have to ask yourself this, friend. What are you fighting for? Think about a dog in a corner. You know you're watching like a, a dog who's eating and they might be the most gentle dog in the world, but you go over and you go to take that bowl away from that dog, they can turn into a very vicious dog. That's fear because they don't know that their next meal is gonna come. Friends, what are you fighting for? What is your purpose in life? Many times you fight against loss. I don't wanna lose this, I don't wanna lose that. God is telling us, no, actually, when you endure loss, you know me better. You know Christ better. You're sharing in his sufferings. 
And when you do that, it doesn't rip you away from your purpose in life. It actually helps you grow in your purpose in life. Because as you suffer, you understand what it means that Christ suffered for you in love. And even if you suffer unto death, death cannot pull you out of God's purpose for you. I mean, because your soul is going to be happy in the Lord. How much more happy is it in death as we are go to the Lord or when Christ returns to us? So in the resurrection, you are, it's impossible if you're walking in faith to lose this purpose of knowing Christ Jesus as Lord. Even suffering helps you to understand your union to him through faith. Shared suffering does that. It creates a bond. And in this, you will grow in your faith in Christ. So the resurrection does raise you to a new purpose. And the first is this, that you trust him. No matter what you do, friend, if you're not growing your trust of him, um, you're never going to get there. You're never going to get first purpose, trust him. Second, treasure him. Second, treasure him. Um, what do I mean by that? Well, I love what the Apostle Paul says here because he had skills, he had education, uh, he had a history of doing well. But then he says this, verse 12, not that I have already obtained this. In other words, not that I have obtained the resurrection from the dead. Not that I've got where God wants me to go. He says, not that I've obtained this or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. So the Apostle Paul's confidence, check your confidence, was not that he knew the gospel or he knew about Jesus or he knew how he should live. His confidence was that his righteousness before God came from Christ and he received it through faith and he had not arrived. He knew that. He knew he was not perfect. He knew that his life did not line up perfectly, but it didn't kill his purpose in life to know and to trust and to love God. It didn't. His confidence wasn't in his perfection. Hear that. And, and for many of you, it is. It's not in his accomplishments. It's in the completed perfection of Christ. Can you live there? It's not in his perfection. It's in Christ's perfection. It's in what he had accomplished. So this made the Apostle Paul treasure Christ all the more because he's striving, not in his own power to earn something. He's striving to run in something Jesus has given him. So he treasures this. Um, listen, the resurrection of Jesus says this, Jesus has arrived. Hear that. The resurrection, if it's anything, it's this. Jesus has arrived. His relationship with God the Father, God the Son's relationship with God the Father was in perfect faith. He walked it out in perfection, meaning in all the great areas of life and all the crazy things that happened to him, he was able to walk by the power of the Spirit in faith to God all the way to the cross, submitting to it, enduring it out of love for us, love for God the Father saves us, his perfection, validated, resurrection, overcomes death at the right hand of the Father right now, pouring the Spirit out on his church. Jesus has arrived. There's one person who's arrived in this world. His name is Jesus. He's there. He's got it. And so the Apostle Paul is saying, I trust him and I also treasure him. He is there and he is there for me. He's done this for me. I can live. I have not attained that. I am not there yet, but he is, so in him, so am I. I am seated in the heavenlies with him. So that garnered trust and treasure 
for him. Even in John 14, when Jesus was telling his disciples before, before he left, before he uh, went to the cross, he said, hey, listen, um, I go to prepare a place for you. I'm, I'm not joking. If, if, if it weren't the case, I would let you know. And I'm going to return. I'm take you there with me. So know this, friend. When you think about your purpose in life, you're always trying to get there, aren't you? You're always trying to get to a place of fullness and completion and perfection. Jesus is there. He's arrived. If you're in him, think of him as the tip of the iceberg above the water. You might be underwater, but you're part of the iceberg. He, he has raised you to a new purpose. He's there. He's arrived. You're with him. You're with him. So what does that do to us? Well, sometimes people would say, well, that means it doesn't matter what I do, so I'll just kick back in life. No, obviously not. I want you to think of it this way. Imagine you're going on a vacation, uh, which may do, are we going to do that anymore? Who knows? I hope so. Imagine you rent a beach house with a bunch of your friends and your family, and you're driving down to the Outer Banks to be there, and maybe your friends got to the house first, and they go by the rental agency, and they get the keys to the house, and it's on the beach, and they get there, and they open it up, and they unpack their suitcases, and they're checking the place out, uh, they're making margaritas, they're out by the pool, and they call you, and you're stuck on traffic, maybe on, on Highway 17, you know, just stop and go traffic, and they're like, hey, you're gonna love this place, it's great, we're by the pool, it's 10 times better than what the picture showed, this is going to be the best vacation ever. So how do you react to that? Man, you're going to do everything you, you can to press on as the Apostle Paul. You're, you're going to, it's going to inflame you. You're going to want to get there. You want to get with your friends. You want to go enjoy this little paradise that you have rented, but you're not there yet. They have the keys. They've opened it up. They're verifying to you, this place is great. Get here. It's going to cause you to press on. It's not going to cause you to pull back and pull off the road and just wait it out. No, you want to get there. So this is what the Apostle Paul is saying. He presses on. Not that he's attained it already, but he knows that Jesus has made him his own, so he presses on to make it real to him as well. He knows that Jesus has accomplished this. Um, so much of our life is spent as Christians thinking about our purpose, looking in the rearview mirror, right? Oh, well, I did this. I didn't do that. This happened to me. Um, and it's, it's important, right? Our history matters, but not for, your, not for where you're going. It's not going to get you there. And I love what the Apostle Paul says here. Just hear these words. I do not consider that I have made it on my own. We just talked about that. But one thing I do, in other words, here's this one thing I do hold on to, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. I press on towards the goal. That's athletic language. In other words, I see the finish line and I see the finish line. You know what that does? That gives me a burst of adrenaline. It pushes me to push everything I have into getting to the finish line. And I know that I absolutely will get there because Christ has made this happen for me. So I will live my life for this upward prize of what God has accomplished for me in Christ Jesus. And he even says, this is how mature people think. Don't waste your life playing with what the, the, what's on your lawn, right? Don't waste your life in the murk, in the rubbish. See what God has accomplished for you. Trust Him. Treasure Him. Let Him be the pursuit of your 
heart. Stop looking in the rearview mirror. Forget what you haven't done or what you have done. Look forward to what Christ has done for you. Press into this. Even if it's suffering, friend, it cannot strip you away from God's purposes. In fact, even as we, as we endure suffering, we're investing in a relationship with God. Do you understand that? You understand that? Um, you are bulletproof in Christ. Bulletproof. And friends, if you're miserable, first of all, happiness is circumstantial. We know that. But if underneath that lack of happiness, which is situational, if there's no joy in there, you're seeking the wrong treasure. You just are. You're looking in your rearview mirror. You're trying to attain something God has already given to you. So receive it from Him. Um, don't seek the wrong treasure. So trust Him. Yes, the resurrection raises us to this new purpose. Trust Him. Treasure Him. Let your life seek Him with everything that you have. And lastly, tell of Him. This is how we enjoy Him. Listen, uh, Karl Barth, uh, Karl Barth um, he's a, a theologian uh, from the, the mid-century, 1900s, Swiss guy. And yeah, he said a lot of good things. Uh, not everything was great, but he kind of pushed into the experience of knowing Jesus, and I love that about him. And he said, and I know I've said this before, but it's so good and applies here. He says, joy is the simplest form of gratitude. In other words, until your soul is anchored in its, its happiness, where its joy is anchored in the Lord, you're not going to really have gratitude. So joy is the simplest form of gratitude. In other words, the way that we show our gratitude to God for all that He's done for us is just simple joy. It's like when somebody gives you something that you really wanted and you can't help but beam. You can't help but overflow in gratitude. This is the response that God calls us to. And when we have that, when we understand that part of our purpose is to effuse that gratitude, it helps understand, helps people understand the Lord that you worship. Uh, so joy is the simplest form of gratitude. A few ways this becomes real because in Christ, this gratitude grows in a few ways. Happiness, real happiness, uh, even in unhappy circumstances, as your soul is anchored to your joy in the Lord, what cannot be taken from you. Because anything that can be taken from you cannot be the source of your joy. It can't be. So as we consider what Christ has done, it helps us to grow in joy, helps us to grow in happiness, helps us to grow in gratitude, and it will, answer you, it will help you answer this one thing. What is this one thing that I can live for that nobody can take from me? That's my relationship with the living God. That's knowing Christ Jesus as Lord. And friends, um, let me just tell you when it comes to the resurrection. Yes, the resurrection of Jesus raises you to this new purpose, but your joy in Christ, not always happiness, your joy in Christ, right? Your true joy in Christ, which will help you to be happy even in circumstances, even in suffering, as, as um, the Apostle Paul says, is the best evidence for everybody around you that Jesus lives. Did you know that? Your joy is the best evidence for the resurrection. This is why we tell of Him through how we live. And we tell of Him with our words because we have found a treasure that everybody 
needs to see everybody. So we tell of him. In fact, I need your joy. I need to see your joy. This is one of the hardest things about being isolated from one another during this season. I got to see your joy because your joy confirms to me what I believe, that my King is risen and that I am in Him and that I'm raised to this new purpose and that I treasure Him and that I trust Him and that I will, there's nothing that can compare to Him. I need to see your joy in that. You need to see my joy as well. Uh, let me read a little quote to you. Uh, from another theologian. Uh, this is Martin Lloyd-Jones. Just listen to what he says about this. He says, The greatest need of the hour is a revived and joyful church. Unhappy Christians are a poor recommendation for the faith. The exuberant joy of the early Christians was one of the most potent factors in the spread of Christianity. Mm. There's a lot of things for you and I right now today to be unhappy about. And we shouldn't be happy about things that we should be unhappy about. So joy in Christ is not pretending that bad things aren't happening. It's not pretending that you're not suffering or enduring loss. But it's putting a scale out there and saying, this is awful, but the worth of Christ <clears throat> so far exceeds it. The fact that I am in Christ, that he has seated me in the heavenlings, that what he has given me, this treasure, cannot be ripped from my cold hands, even when I'm dead. Actually, that's when I, that actually brings my joy to fullness. This resurrection places you there, friend. Places you there. New purpose. Trust Him. You can't get there any other way. Treasure Him. Spend your life pursuing Him. Go hard after Him. Right? He's there. He's accomplished this for you and tell of him, this will help you enjoy God. This is our call in Christ Jesus. So what is your purpose? What is that one thing that you live for? Live for this. Live for this. Listen, our call is to press on, friends, during this season. Our call is to show the power and the joy of what it means to be unified to Christ through faith. This God is going to use the church during this time. God is going to use you even as we all endure loss together. Let's make much of him. Let's show him off. Let's let the resurrection wrap us up into the purpose of worship and to glorify God even in the worst of times, even now. See, Jesus endured the most unjoyful, disastrous thing anyone ever could, and he did it for one reason, that you might find your soul happy in the Lord. Trust him, treasure him, and tell of him. God bless.